Hey, welcome to January Man, the January Boys fancast. I was almost hit by a car today. And I'm nonplussed. Today on the show, we're going to talk about that very special episode of the January Boys television series, the Halloween special. Uh, it's just about that time of year we figured, out of hell with time. It's time to see this, this time. Brought to you by time. Uh, the, the, the spice, not the... Exactly. Anyway, um, so I love this Halloween special. I uh, recorded it on VHS and DVD, and I, I took a clamshell to that and so I could take the VHS and record it digitally into my computer so I can watch it every year no matter where I am. I'm very uh, excited to talk about it today. Um, of course, as you know, and as most people listening to this will know, uh, it's uh, it was sort of a v- variety sketch show type thing, and it starts in uh, Jeb Bush's treehouse with Eric Andre as Jeb Bush and Joe Biden uh, sitting there introducing themselves to each other again. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting thing because they've obviously known each other for years and we've known them for years. But this is sort of like a little reset thing. Like, it's interesting. I'm not sure if the if Eric Andre and Joe Biden understood where this episode was going to lie in the timeline. So they sort of do an awkward introduction of each other where they like shake each other's hands and they then they kind of move into a hug. And then they also smooch each other very delicately on the cheeks. Um, but it's like they just did a separate take for each one because they were like, how well do we know each other? Let's, well, I don't know. Let's let's give you options. And they just used all of them. Yeah, and they introduce each other. This is Joe Biden, and I'm Jeb Bush. And um, Joe Biden only talks about himself in the in the third or second person for the entire episode, which is very strange. Uh, to me, anyway, because I don't quite understand how second person functions when you're discussing yourself. So you wouldn't think that that would be a thing, but it is. And um, you obviously sometimes have trouble when you're watching a show like that. You know, you just don't know what to do. Yeah, this is maybe the most conceptual performance by Joe Biden uh, in the series or in any of the films. So... That's a really unique thing about it. it. It kept me at a little bit of a distance, but I was really intrigued to see him taking on such an idea and just rolling with it with the whole episode. Like, he doesn't stop this technique, and it's 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 a little off-putting, but then you, you get the vibe, and you roll into it, and it actually makes it a little bit creepier because it's a little unfamiliar. Now, I'd say it's probably the most artistic he's been in his film career, but not in his political career. Uh, who would forget the time that Joe Biden stood on the Senate floor and just talked to everybody uh, in the, the second person about his life for three days? I think that was probably uh, where the inspiration for this take came from. And I read that Tina Fey had watched that on repeat uh, during a period in her Chicago days where she just like would just replay it over and over and over and absorb it. And so I think this was sort of maybe this stemmed from her obsession with that and just trying to bring that approach back. And you can see that Eric Andre is just he's just rolling with it. Yeah, yeah, he just uh, he's not even phased. Um So they do have a live band for this show. It's Bigfoot and the Crypt Kicker 5. 
Um, they play a lot of slow jams, which is really nice. Um, a lot of smooth soul. Um, it's Sasquatch. It's I, as far as I know, it's the actual, the real Sasquatch. Um, but I mean, you know more about this than I do. Yeah, we should be clear. This isn't just the name of a band, Bigfoot in the Crypt, Kicker Five. This is the actual. It this is claimed to be the actual Bigfoot. Uh, Lauren Michaels, Tina Fey, and Ryan Murphy have said in interviews that they had tracked Sasquatch down in his Appalachian wilderness lair and offered him a contract for a one-off special because when they didn't bring cameras, they just tracked him down out of respect. They knew he valued his privacy, but they also had an instinct that this was an artist. This was a reclusive artist, and they just wanted to give him a spot to express himself in the way of his choosing. And that turned out to be a, a slow jam night. There's no themes. There's no spooky themes to this. Like he covers Ain't No Sunshine when she's gone. Yeah, he also covers um, Can't Get Enough of Your Love. Uh, his voice is fascinating. I, it's kind of uh, Bob Dylan by way of Barry White a little bit. Just very, uh, I mean, it's exactly how you'd expect Bigfoot to sound if you think about it. Yeah, this is, that's, I think, my favorite thing about this special besides uh, everything else. I mean, everything about it is great. They have um, sort of a treehouse of horrors thing going where nothing really is canonical. It, some of it is animated, but they even have bits where Eric Andre, as Jeb Bush, says, Well, I wonder what happens in my future, and Hannibal Burris plays jeb in the future sketches so it's kind of a nice nod to the audience to they're like yeah we're listening to you we read reddit too um you know it's just kind of a nice a nice little nod to them so what what's the first sketch i know they introduced bigfoot and the crypt kicker five which is the actual crypt kicker five of boris pickett fame that mentioned uh famously in the monster mash they got them out of retirement just a lot of work went into that uh, arranging that band. I think they assumed they were going to get several years of worth out of that. But they introduced them. They slow jam in, and is that the mummy sketch? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, they open up with the mummy sketch where uh, they open up the refrigerator and out pops this mummy that just creeps out slowly. You see the hands grasp out from the refrigerator, and then it lurches out. It, it slowly unravels the bandages around its face, and it turns out to be Clench Meat Hook. Clench Meat Hook, right? And it's Liam Neeson and character as Clench Meat Hook. Um, wow, I forgot about that. How can I forget Clench? Um, obviously in the in the TV show he's not a huge part uh, yet until, well, I mean the last couple of episodes, but um. Yeah, so it was kind of a, an interesting choice there for them to do that uh, so soon in broadcasting. But I think that was kind of a nice little, again, a nod to the fans. Um, a couple of guests make an appearance. Uh, Scarlett Johansson makes an appearance. Gwyneth Paltrow makes an appearance uh, as a vampire, which, I mean, is not that far from the truth. They have a, a short somewhere in the middle there. I don't remember... It's one of the animated ones, but um, Rupert Grint's character, Stephen King, Stevie, as they call him, uh, turns out to be a werewolf, and it's all done in claymation um, by the same guy that did the Antifa special, so you know they're in good hands. 
Yeah, and it's nice to see them incorporating Rupert Grint's character, like, consistently, because we didn't see a lot of him in Episode 2, so this is kind of bringing him back in here. It, this is maybe the bridge episode between uh, the films and the TV special, in the sense, because you see... Uh, Hannibal Buress and some of these cutaway fantasy sketches when Eric Andre is uh, wondering about his future. You see Hannibal Buress, you see Clinch Meat Hook, you see some of these familiar faces that cross over. But then you're also still, but then you're also still anchored by Eric Andre's uh, Jeb Bush, and it's interesting. It's they, I think they get a little metatextual in here. Yeah, um, Anton and Hippie Johnny are in it. Uh, they come up to the treehouse and they. Uh, tell the story of, uh, well, they tell the story of Devil's Night, you know, um, which is great because uh, just a lovely bedtime story to tell your children if they're misbehaving. So keep that one in mind, parents out there. I know there are two of you yeah. at least listening. And can you get into a little bit of the history of Devil's Night as they describe it for those that aren't familiar? Oh, yeah, definitely. So Devil's Night is the night prior to Halloween, which is when the special is supposed to take place. And it's the night that evil spirits and the devil and ghouls and ghosts of all kind uh, come out from hell or whatever pocket dimension they decide to crawl out from and uh, really have a uh, good time. They kind of make a mess of things. They uh, cross over with other uh, TV shows. They uh, they brought in the cast of Frasier to play the Devil's Night um, Frasier just loves crossing over with the January Boys franchise, which is kind of nice. I never really got into Frasier, but, um, I mean, who who doesn't love sarcasm? And once the ghouls and ghosts and goblins and whatever the hell uh, get out of hell, they do a whole bunch of weird shit, and uh, they're telling specifically the story of the first Devil's Night, uh, which happened many, many moons ago. Uh, after the first Christmas, actually, and then it's a, a very interesting sort of um, a heartwarming stop-go animation. Anton uh, sings a, a lovely little song about silver and hell. Because it turns out that the devil and all his minions love silver, but they can't touch it because they'll burn themselves as silver's of the right. holiest of metals. Exactly. Um can't touch iron, can't touch silver, can touch gold, but do they want gold? No, gold is for the greedy, and the greedy are the ones that they are punished. They punish the capitalist pigs that are sent to hell, and they come up to drag them back down. Or so the story goes. But they treasure silver for its medicinal properties. Exactly, and um, unfortunately it just happens to also be completely poisonous to them. That's the worst thing about medicine, is like most of the time it kills you. Certainly. The devil and his friends all stockpile a giant stack of silver in the center of the realm of hell, basically, and they just keep piling stuff on there, and they have to use sensitive gloves to put over their little devil fingers to handle it, and it just gleams and glistens, and they walk over sometimes, and they just admire it, or they touch it with their palms uh, in the safest way they can, but they can't ever grasp it. And it stands as sort of like it slowly melts into uh, a monument, a misshapen uh, monument of sorts. And every year, it, it takes all year 
there's so much silver that it takes a long process for all of it to coagulate together at once. So, like, once a year, which is also on, like, Devil's Night, the Devil. Devil's Night, And his minions themselves reshape the monument into a different statue. And sometimes they allow themselves to spend a little bit of it on Devil's Night. It's kind of like um, Satanic Black Friday. They find a lot of deals on souls and shit. Yeah, exactly. You get them cheaper on that year because, they'll look, everyone's going for them that year. So it's like quantity. Yeah, every five years, um, souls are just a little bit less expensive. Yeah, and so Anton is telling this story about the different shapes that the statue has had over the years, how at times it's been the Raccoon King, who we were introduced to in Episode 2. They keep seeding the idea of the Raccoon King, so that's kind of a nice reference. And then some years it's uh, been some years it's been random world leaders, like Tony Blair for some reason. I don't know. Jesse Ventura. A platypus with a hat. A broomstick. But no broom, just the stick. Yeah, so basically just a big, tall stick. Just a long pole. And the it ends, and then he, he's like, in one year it was Jeb Bush and Joe Biden. And he says it real dramatically. And then we cut out of it, and we see the statue, and Jeb and Joe are like, ah, and they're clutching each other. And that story is another example of Hannibal Burris sort of intervening, because the statue version of Jeb Bush is actually Hannibal Burris and not Eric Andre. Uh, they kind of just bring him back into the fiction just for that check. Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, when it cuts back to the treehouse with Jeb and Joe clutching each other, it's back to Eric Andre. Uh, but no one acknowledges the discrepancy. And um, then it's we pan over and you see Ron Perlman there as the clown prince of the dead. Yeah, he's just passing through. He doesn't say anything. He just kind of waves at the camera. And he walks away. Yeah, presumably he was on his way to another shoot, actually. And they just said, here, can you pop this costume on real quick and just make an appearance? And he went, yeah. That's literally what he said. It's on tape, actually. Somebody caught it on video. Well, they were in the middle of shooting, and they go, hey, Ron, can you pop this on? And they flip the camera around. You can actually see uh, the rest of the crew and the... and. Whatever, and he puts on the hat and goes, yeah, all right. And they waves at the camera, and then they switch back and onto the set. So you can see the where the set ends, and like the microphones and the boom and the camera and everything. And then they swap back. Um, and I guess they just decided to leave that part in there. Maybe they were uh, stretching time or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was nice to see him anyway. Yeah, one does get the sense that. This was actually shot maybe after the principal photography of most of the series because it does have – I guess that's part of the charm. It has a little bit more of a slapdash quality to it than the rest of the series, which is – I guess it's fine because there are some – if you look at some of these old Halloween specials that shows had, uh, there is something kind of hokey about them and uh, old cheaper smooth consciousness, and I think they just decided to go with that. It, there's a there's a warmer quality to it than the rest of the series, I think, personally, you know, and and I think that a lot of it is a uh, is that slapdash quality. I think that it's got the it's it's like watching a home video, almost. I think that they filmed it in there, like with a camera from Tina Fey's basement, which she has in her New York apartment. Surprisingly, it's a real strange thing about that. Look it up. 
Yeah, so this is maybe the most unique episode of the series just because of uh, this tonal quality that is so different and kind of cheaper. So it's, yeah, it's kind of charming. Um, And then after the story about Devil's Night, Treasure Weekly knocks on the door and climbs up and she wants to talk about some of the hot news items that are gonna that are happening around the high school, and it's the Treasure Weekly that we are introduced to later on in the series, uh, not Scarlett Johansson. Though Scarlett Johansson does make an appearance as Treasure Weekly in one of the future Jeb Bush and Treasure Weekly sketches, where they have a little horror adventure, which is kind of neat. They really like comparing and contrasting the the different casts in this special because when uh, the Treasure Weekly from the series shows up. One thing that's odd is that this isn't this plays like she knows them, although we haven't been introduced to her yet in the series. So she just kind of comes up and says, "Hey, Jeb and Joe," and they're like, "Hey, Treasure Weekly." Right. Um, I think that they were attempting to sort of bridge the gap between the films. You already mentioned that a little bit, but um, I think that really they were like, obviously, this is what we look like sophomore year. Uh, and you know, a lot of people go through changes in freshman year, and I, th- I think they do. They do mention that. But yeah, it's it's interesting seeing Treasure Weekly because she is actually in the series plays played by Lucy Liu. Yeah, which is a completely different direction, but she's great in it, of course. Oh, one hundred percent fantastic. Um, she was kind of in between shooting uh, seasons of Elementary, and uh, I, I couldn't be happier with the casting choice. Apparently she's a workaholic. It's a problem. She goes to workaholic anonymous meetings, but she makes a big deal oh, out yeah. of it. She's like, I just came from workaholics anonymous. And it's like, we didn't need to know that. It's supposed to be anonymous, but okay. Whereas like, she'll just keep working. Like that was a thing on the set of elementary where they had to remove her from the set because after each time when they're done with the day, she'll just hang around and keep, she'll keep acting in the backgrounds of scenes she's not in. It did pose a problem for the uh, January Boys show uh, because she would just show up on days when she wasn't scheduled to shoot and just act in the bathroom and act in the in the dining area. And she would just kind of act uh, in, in the backgrounds of scenes that she was not supposed to be. And she'd start miming and she would pretend to be in a box and she'd pretend to uh, be walking downstairs and on occasion, she would uh, disguise herself so that they would let her back on the set by wearing glasses and a mustache and saying, oh, I'm not Lucy Lou. I'm her brother, Louis Lou." And then uh, they'd let her on every time. They never really, either the guard was really, really, you know, slacking or they thought it was amusing. Personally, I think it was the latter. Yeah, it was definitely the ladder that she carried around everywhere. It's about a six-foot ladder that she would also, like, carry around underneath her arm anywhere. So she could just clamber over onto things. If there was an obstacle that they set in front of her, she'd just just be like, well, clonk the ladder down and climb right up. And everyone knows that Louis Lou is a famous house painter. So, I mean, obviously, mustache, glasses, ladder must be her brother. There is a definitely family resemblance there, so I, I think that's probably what it was. Yeah, my one of my favorite things is to watch uh, over the course of the series. Sometimes this doesn't happen in this episode. I'm I'm just like putting it 
out there as we proceed. Uh, I assume some of you are watching the series with us. Uh, keep an eye out for scenes where the sound seems to drop out a bit in the middle of the scenes, like scenes without Lucy Liu. Uh, and the sound will seemingly, like the air tone, it'll like drop out for a bit, and it, you'll get a sense that maybe these voices have been dubbed, and often that's because sometimes Lucy and Lou would even have been, she would have snuck back on and be acting out dialogue behind the flats, like behind the walls of the set, and they would be picking it up on the mic. So I'm like, oh, we'll just dub it in later, let her go. My favorite instance of this is when they're filming outside, um, surrounded by a very tall fence, and suddenly you just hear branches crackling in the middle of the scene and then you you can see lucy lou fall from the tree and you just hear the you the sound drops out all of a sudden because the spike from her fall really popped over and they they, they just didn't have time for a reshoot so um they dubbed everything over from there but you, the sound really does drop out uh, quite suddenly but yeah so back to the halloween special um they have a couple of cool little acts um you know a couple of like comedy bits friends of the show eugene merman makes an appearance which i am a big fan he's dressed as frankenstein's monster which he mentions uh repeatedly yeah which is kind of interesting he's like oh i'm frankenstein i'm not eugene merman <laughs> no i'm eugene merman but i'm dressed as frankenstein he'll say it twice every time he does that he'll like back off and then but reiterate what he's dressed as like i makes me wonder if he wasn't sure if his costume was getting across the idea. Right, but he had the bolts in the neck and the and the flat top haircut and the green skin. And yeah, everything. I got so it. You'd think everyone would get that, right? And by the end of it, his set just kind of devolves into him screaming that no one corrected him about it being Frankenstein's monster and not Frankenstein the doctor. Yeah, he's one of those guys. And he's just screaming into the microphone, and he does not stop until someone... Uh, gently, I believe it's actually Rupert Grint, gently uh, ushers him off. Rupert Grint, of course, is dressed fully as a werewolf because we've already at this point seen the claymation uh, bit where he turns into a werewolf. And you can hear him throughout the uh, throughout the rest of the special just kind of, Frankenstein's monster! Monster! And he's just screaming just in the background. Um, overall, though, it's a pretty funny set. He He does a bit about you know zombies and like how hard it is to get a date and you know it's it's great it's really it's great. classic merman yeah after that set it goes right into uh the appearance by gwyneth paltrow where they just wheel on a coffin and open it up and then she sort of does that little that levitating thing that like nosferatu did yeah she's really good at that i've seen her do that at parties yeah so there's no there's no appliance helping her or gadget no trickery no. she just does that she claims it's because goop uh, helps her do that whatever goop is I I've never actually inquired we've bumped into each other a couple of times Gwyneth and I she goes by Gwynny mm. and Gwynny Gwynny is uh, she's interesting because you don't get this when she's talking in public but she actually has a very thick accent. Yeah, it's very it's like classic Transylvanian, which is probably why she yeah, appears as a vampire in this. Well, that's why we get along so much because uh my my family hails from Transylvania. So she's got that very thick like I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, like that's how she talks. That's how she sounds. Almost to the point of sounding very close to a, a Borat impression. Uh but uh yeah, she's like 
Hey, my wife, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. That's how she sounds. That's what she actually... Hey, Jeff, what are you doing? I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. Sell me some goop. Like, that's that's just how she sounds. That's actually... Uh, I've done that impression to friends of Gwyneth Paltrow's, and they say I'm I'm spot on. And, and you know, I'm not bragging or anything. It's not a... It's just I... That's exactly how she sounds, Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow. And that's how she sounds know. in this episode. It's like she let they she lets herself talk in her natural dialect. Yeah. It's like, who wants goop? Yeah, it's really great to see her just kind of let loose like that, you know? it's um, And then she does end up murdering someone on screen and drinking their blood, and they never go into whether or not that was part of it, or like... And then she just kind of... Like, it, everyone does seem very surprised, you know? Yeah. And I, I would also be surprised, but um, she just kills the best boy, like, outside of the ritual. And, um, I mean, she smiles at the camera, blood dripping from her mouth, and goes, Hey, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to paltrow, you know? And then she just puffs into smoke. And uh, that's how they end the special, with a slow jam from Bigfoot, like, right after that. Um where he does waiting on the world to change in his very smoky, sort of rambling, foresty way. And, uh, yeah, it's great. It's a really great ending. I I mean, it was a shock for me. The first time I watched it, it was like that jump scare, you know. Um, and then Eric Andre comes back on set dressed as the clown from It. And they don't address it at all. He just stands there and stares. And then he comes on again at the same time as himself. It's crazy. So it's like Eric Andre and Eric Andre dressed as the clown from It, and uh, they just stand there and stare at you. While Bigfoot plays. Uh, While Bigfoot plays Waiting on the World to Change in his very smoky, uh, forestry voice. And then they roll the credits, and um, yeah, it's it's just such a... If if you haven't seen it, I know a lot of people skip the special episodes or like the the sort of like slapdash episodes, uh, as, as they're called in the industry but you you really gotta check it out because it i i don't know how to explain this to you the listener at home that last couple of minutes of just credits and it's so mortifyingly horrifying you know what i mean and you gotta experience that once in your life it's like if you've ever been pushed off a bridge it's like that but for your eyes so push your eyes off that experience bridge and that's that's your homework for the night guys push your eyes off that bridge you won't regret it you won't if you've ever been pushed off a bridge you already understand what i'm going through right now just describing this to you i'm getting very amped up and very uh the adrenaline is just pumping through my veins but what you really need push your eyes off that bridge and that was the halloween special yeah, um, before we go, I do have to give you a quick little uh, sponsorship update. Shout out to uh, our sponsor, Time. Not not the concept this time. This time it's uh, this time is the the spice. So thank you, Time, the uh, the herb, uh, for sponsoring our show. I I've eaten quite a bit of your product, and uh, I love that you uh, cross brand. You know. And that you grow in, in, in the Pacific Northwest. So yeah, if you haven't bought time, buy time today. Do it. While there's still time. The the concept. 
while there's still the concept to enough of the concept around to buy the herb. And while there's enough of the herb available, while the there's also you gotta have enough of the concept at the same t- at the at the same occurrence as you can buy the quantity of the herb. Yeah, so thanks again, you guys, for listening. Thanks to the millions of people we uh, have reached out to uh, who uh, keep saying that they're going to listen. And I uh, really appreciate that. So, yeah, think, is there anything that you'd like to say before we head out? As always, keep January in your heart. January Man is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Davis Banta, with music by Brendan McKay. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter G for Gwyneth. Thanks for listening. Zos to you!